Welcome to the Everything I Hate About Me podcast. A podcast of self-examination in hopes of self-illumination. I am your companion on this journey, Eli. During these past weeks, conversing about wisdom, I have touched upon non-binary ways of thinking, making claims that life is far too complex for any such simplistic thought. Due to an intrinsic idealism, I think all youth, no matter how woke or ignorant, grow up thinking more or less in binaries, and most, from what I've seen, continue this modus operandi into adulthood. I know I have, and I still struggle with it to this day. We are mostly a world of binary ideals. In my youth, one was either a member of the church or they weren't. They were either completely sober or an addict, straight or gay, girl or boy, Republican or Democrat, a democracy or part of the axis of evil, and on and on. A lot of youth today still think in this way, but now we're also a LGBTQ ally or an enemy. Black Lives Matter ally or an enemy. Rich person or good person. Capitalist or good person. And on and on. It feels as if, no matter how complex our understanding of the world becomes, most of us continue to distill everything down to this or that. One side of the line or the other. Good or evil. I am guilty of this all the time. I will see someone sporting an emblem or a flag that I believe to represent something evil, and I will categorize such a person immediately. It's easy. Often I try to be kind and simply categorize that person as ignorant. There is nothing wrong with ignorance. We are all ignorant. This phony kindness I grant others is still a judgment. I still mentally sort them, tossing them in with the refuge of human waste. Yet this is not how I actually feel about anyone. My most prized identity is to be human, a complex, undefinable, unrestrainable, undeniable human made up of a myriad of contradictions, compromises, pride, prejudice, joy, hate, love. The greatest wisdom I have been able to find is in releasing myself of binary thought. I am not this or that, good or evil. I am legion. Today I want to explore this topic via the wisdom literature of the book of Job. There will be a lot of talk of God and Satan, but this discussion is not meant for only those who believe in God. God and Satan, for our purposes today, could be literal or could be just metaphors for the infinite, the beyond, the mysteries that mortality keeps hidden, not a religious proclamation. Today's episode is more of an exercise of imagination. Imagining the infinite. But first... Are you running for political office but can't seem to pull ahead in the polls? 
do those who are running against you claim that your platform is weak and that you have no legislative experience? When you speak at a rally, do your constituents lose interest and wish they could speed up time to the moment your speech is over? Well then, try blonde hair dye. With blonde hair, you can captivate an audience without a good speech. Who needs a good platform when you look so good in those platform heels? That's blonde hair dye. Why be unelectable when you could be blonde? Morality and ethics are inseparably entwined with mortality. In the eternities, what could be called right or wrong, good or evil? If existence never ends, then consequences upon immortal beings do not exist. How does one punish an immortal being of infinite capacity and unlimited knowledge? There is nothing that can be done with such a person. What then can be said for a god who destroys their own creations? Life and death are now amoral. They are outside the limitations of good and evil. In fact, for a god, good and evil are both infinite, which means they must overlap, which in turn means that the infinite good is within the infinite evil and vice versa. Who now can tell them apart? Our binary mortal view of good and evil is as laughable as it is tedious. Even Shakespeare, brilliant beyond compare, is guilty of filling our heads with binaries. To be or not to be, that is the question. Actually, that is just one of infinite questions, as we always have an infinite number of choices before us. In an infinite universe, it must be that anything can happen. In fact, it must be that anything, and therefore everything, does happen. As someone who associates in Christian communities, I am surrounded by people who fear the devil who fear evil. Yet, if God and the devil are infinite, immortal beings, then they both contain within their infinite selves all of good and evil. Who now can tell them apart? Besides, I've never read in Judeo-Christian scripture where the devil punished people for not worshiping him or who ordered his followers to commit genocide for a plot of land or who sent fire from the sky because his chosen people complained about the food. In the Hebrew and Christian Bibles, Satan, which is not a name but a noun in Hebrew, which simply means adversary and does not imply evil whatsoever, is portrayed as someone who tests our perceptions of ourselves, ultimately helping Eve, Job, and even Jesus to take a hard look at their lives, their motivations, and their beliefs, and to become the better version of themselves. The metaphor of the fruit of knowledge of good and evil is also a fall to mortality, the only place where good and evil can actually play out with any kind of consequence. And what was the first recorded sin of mortality? Death. 
Murder most foul. A murder that could only occur outside of Eden, outside of the pathways where gods walk. Cain kills Abel. Murder can only happen amongst those who can die. An immortal being is so far beyond death that murder is impossible. This is the only way in which the God of the Hebrew Bible, Yahweh, can possibly sleep at night. As a God, he cannot murder. What we call murder, Yahweh would simply call creative differences. It should be noted that even Adam, while in the garden, were as gods already, at least in a certain respect, even without the knowledge of good and evil. Eden was a dwelling place of Yahweh who walked its paths in the cool evening breeze. It should be noted that if the serpent actually was a Satan or the literal devil, although it is never specified within the text and only implied by popular myth, then Yahweh, Satan, Adam, and Eve all dwelt together in the same place. We must conclude then that God and the devil walk in the same circles, each of them infinite, immortal beings with all of good and evil within them. As the serpent tells Eve about eating the forbidden fruit, God knows that as soon as you eat it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God himself, knowing both good and evil. Being as God is knowing both good and evil. This is something most Jews and Christians gloss over. God has all knowledge of, and therefore all evil, within him. I find it amusing, then, that so many of the so-called righteous pretend to be like God by avoiding evil and, in their minds, avoiding Satan or the devil. God does not avoid Satan. It's right there in the first and second chapters of Job. The members of the court of heaven take their places and the adversary, the Satan, is amongst them. He is a member of the court. The devil is in heaven? But all the Christians said he was cast out. It's the entire premise of paradise lost. Satan and his followers are cast down from heaven. So how can this be that Satan is in heaven conversing with Yahweh in such a friendly and familiar way? Yahweh doesn't seem to be all-knowing. Having to ask Satan where he had been, Satan tells Yahweh that he's been all over the earth. Which is when Yahweh asks the famous and, for Job and his family, disastrous question. Have you considered my servant Job? Another definition of the noun Satan in Hebrew is accuser. This is Satan's job in the court of heaven, to accuse. In essence, Satan is the prosecution, which does not imply good or evil, only the employment to accuse. The adversary does his job and says that Job is no better than anyone else. After enough suffering, he will curse God to his face, which 
like Job, more or less, eventually does, claiming that God is wrong to kill Job's family and to make Job suffer so. Is God wrong? Impossible. Yet, when Job says he will argue against God in heaven, that he, Job, is blameless, Job proves Satan right. Now, to Job's and God's credit, it takes a whole lot of suffering to get Job to such a state that he openly and vocally disagrees with what God has done to him. At the peak of his suffering, Job tells his wife, If we accept good from God, shall we not accept evil? Hold on. Accept evil from God? But Paul says God is love. The binary view of good and evil as upheld by Jewish and Christian faiths is that God is God because he never commits evil, and Satan is Satan because he only commits evil. What then do we make of Job's declaration? We could argue that God told Satan that Job is in his hands, therefore it was Satan who did these things, but it was Satan who told God to reach out and touch all that Job has, and then reach out and touch Job's bones and flesh, inferring that God is the one who causes Job's suffering. Is it both? Since God and Satan are eternal beings with infinite good and evil within them, how can we tell the difference? Job never mentions Satan or the devil, focusing only on Yahweh. Had Job put Satan into his equation, he might have also have said, if we accept evil from Satan, shall we not accept good? Job chapters 1 and 2 give us a God and a Satan who are amoral beings playing a game, putting humanity on trial via poor, innocent Job. The game isn't really about Job at all. It's about Satan's pessimism over humanity versus God's kind of warped optimism. Job is simply Satan's way of saying, look, if the best of humanity will turn against God, then what does that say for the rest of them? I say God's optimism for humanity is warped because it is based on an abusive relationship with Job. He wagers with Satan that no matter how much God makes Job suffer, Job will still love him. A type of battered housewife syndrome. It reminds me of a certain presidential candidate who bragged that he could stand in Times Square and shoot someone and their constituents would still vote for them. God basically brags to Satan in the same way. Kill his ten children, take all of his wealth, make him suffer physically beyond compare. Job will still love me. Is this the relationship any of us want with the God we worship? Job certainly did not. Neither God nor Satan seem to give any value to Job's family or servants or livestock, destroying all of them with reckless abandon. 
It seems that only Job's wife and three of his servants survived the onslaught of God and Satan's little chess match. Job's wife appears overcome with grief and to have already cursed God and tells Job to do the same and then to die. A passive reading might make Job's wife sound flippant, but I think she's quite rational, honest, and brave. Job pretends at piety, but curses the day of his own birth, wishing death to come, allowing only the fear of God's judgment to keep himself from choosing death. Is that goodness? Is that honesty? It sounds more like weakness and fear and dishonesty to me. By cursing his own creation, Job is backhandedly cursing God. Job wishes he had never been born, cursing the works of his Creator, thereby cursing his Creator. It is only his cowardice, disguised as piety, that keeps Job from confronting Yahweh head on. Now, Job does earnestly seek understanding. He is not a complete coward, far, far from it. He confronts his friends to their faces and never stops claiming his own innocence. In the end, all of Job's family and friends come to eat with him in his house and to comfort him for all of the misfortune Yahweh had brought upon him. The text is very clear here. It is not the misfortune Satan had brought upon him. This was God. Does it seem strange for a pious people to comfort someone for something their loving God had done to them? Job seems to take comfort in not being able to understand God, as God is too far beyond mortal understanding, which is based on morality and ethics. Job's friends were wrong because they believed in justice. Job was wrong only because he believed in being justified by his morality. In the final chapter, Job does not yield his arguments on behalf of himself because God has shown him how moral and correct God is. God's arguments have nothing to do with morality and justice. God simply shows Job how insignificant Job is, to which Job heartily agrees, accepting that God is beyond his ability to understand, living as he was in a world of binary thought. In essence, God communicates to Job, I slaughter humans for my purposes the way you slaughter animals or cut down trees for yours. Humanity is God's project and he will experiment with humans the way any scientist will with a mouse or a rat. Job, in turn, accepts that his vision of moral justice is akin to a rat in a maze seeking cheese. The book of Job is easily one of the world's greatest works of wisdom literature. If we're not reading passively, then from start to finish, we continually have our preconceptions of God, Satan, justice, good, and evil upended. God is seemingly just with Job after his terrible ordeal, giving him long life, another ten children, and even greater riches than he previously had. But is this justice? 
Does having another child replace a child who has died? What of the emotional, psychological, and physical trauma that Job has endured? That man will deal with PTSD for the rest of his life. He will never get over losing his first ten children, ever. Is this justice? God's only explanation to Job is that Job could not possibly understand what it takes to keep the universe going. Only God can know it. Job accepts this in most versions of the translation, but the original Hebrew is difficult to translate and is rather unclear if God and Job ever truly reconcile. Job does admit constantly that God is wiser and infinitely more knowledgeable and powerful. In fact, at the beginning of chapter 42, Job confesses to Yahweh, I know that you can do all things and that no purpose is beyond you. Job says, God can do all things, which must include good and evil. And if no purpose is beyond God, then that must include purposes both good and evil, as well as purposes in between and outside the boundaries of such simplistic, binary thought.